filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster you're smiling but i don't believe you you still think that i would never leave so uh unlike well i guess there were a handful of, a good handful of um i know the district ultras had i, I want to say 76 uh fans but unlike most dc fans uh six trombones up. i don't know i didn't see them having any trombones they might have but they probably would have gotten arrested if they'd brought trombones uh-huh. But, uh, I've never gotten uh, arrested for bringing a trombone anywhere. The cops are really aggressive at Philly Stadium, but we're interrupting Jason. Uh, so I, I hopped into Steven Streff's car. I, I rode shotgun and we went up to Philly to cover the game. Um, so I got to see, uh, I, I had never actually been to what is now Talon Energy Stadium, um, which is an interesting setup because they're, right next to the old uh, port terminal building that they've turned into an office building for the team and for other stuff. Um, and there's their training fields right there. And then there's absolutely nothing else nearby. The sea. Yeah. There, there's the river and there's like the edges of town of Chester. Um, it's kind of a strange scenario. They definitely haven't had that um moment where the uh, alleged development reaches out and connects from the stadium to Chester. Um, so that's something you need to work on. Um, one thing they don't need to work on is they've got pretty good press box suit. I've got to say, um, <laughs> I, I asked Steven before uh, the night before I was like, should I pack some snacks or, or do you want to um, meet me at a place where we could get lunch before we head up? And he was like, no, no, no. The Philly's got the best press box food uh, or one of the best uh, press box meals there are that there is so uh you, you'll be fine um they had like grilled chicken with buffalo uh or like a buffalo style sauce um you can make your own burger they had salad stuff they had cookies and brownies and popcorn and soft pretzels um so yeah they were doing it right uh they were was there up. cheese whiz uh no you couldn't do that there were no uh no cheese whiz no cheese steak opportunities um the little mini burgers were like Montreal steak seasoning burgers. Um, but it was all, it was all pretty good. And uh, a step up over some of the other venues I have been to that I won't, I won't name um, that usually just do a like sandwich in a plastic box. Um, w- would one of those venues be named after the brother of former president, John F. Kennedy? Uh, perhaps. Uh, but you know, it, it was uh, older than the game, which I'm sure we'll discuss. Um, nope, we, we're not going to. The experience Surprise. was otherwise pretty pleasant. Um, it was a nice day. the The rain that passed through held off until after, um, after everything was done. Um, in fact, they've got a um, their press box doesn't have like glass; it's open, but they've got like a garage door that they can pull down in case it gets uh, oh, nice. in case it gets rainy. So they actually came through and were like, "No, we're just pulling this down so you guys can write without getting soaking wet." Any wasps? Um, there was a single bee uh, that kept trying to fly into one of the TV monitors. Um, 
that the only time it wasn't trying to do that during the national anthem, it sort of got close to me and then flew away again. Um, and there were two cats in the parking lot uh, after the game helping clean up. Um, I also should note that the national anthem singer and Stephen and I both couldn't believe this. The national anthem singer had a massive Philly accent, like the most stereotypical Philly accent possible. Um, Including while they were singing. Yes. uh, And that's the thing. Like I didn't hear them say anything else. I only heard them sing. And yet normally when people sing their accent kind of fades away a little bit. And this Mm -hmm. was like, like someone trying to do a Philly accent would have a hard time matching this Philly accent. Um, and uh, she missed she missed a few words. She she was confused about a couple words. I think um, she's no DC Washington. I'll say that much. I mean, no one is DC Washington. It's true. Yeah, no, I not. I recommend the trip. Uh, I don't recommend going when your team is inept. That's true of many MLS stadiums, <laughs> in my experience. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and apparently Press Box Food Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson, Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com. And tonight we are breaking down DC United's disappointing, doesn't begin to cover it. Uh, failtacular? Yeah, let's go with failtacular. 3-2 loss in Chester, PA to Team Dupe the Philadelphia Union. Uh, In the second segment, hopefully um, things will be a little more upbeat. We've got a great guest lined up for that second segment, Charlie Bohm. You've read him everywhere there is to read words written about soccer. Um, He'll be on in the second segment to help us talk about DC United in a little bit of a broader context. Before we do anything, though, Benjamin, what are you drinking? I'm going with a bourbon sidecar tonight. I'm do, it's bourbon and a little bit of triple sec and a little bit of... I, I don't have straight lime juice right now, so I went with a little bit of uh, Mr. James Buffett's uh, margarita mix. Just a dash of it to give that lime flavor. So no top shelf limes for you? But not even bottom shelf limes. I'm going with Mr. James Buffett. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I might have had this last week or the week before, but I, I have... Uh... Jalapeno limeade and mezcal on ice. Um, nice. The smite, the spicy, smoky, sweet combination. It's a, uh, it's pretty good. It's, it'll be a good summer drink once it's fully summer. But it was nice out today. So fully summer, aka three days from now, when it's ninety so, at yeah. least here in Richmond. Oh, it's yeah, ninety down there. Good lord. Yeah. Yes, Friday or Saturday it'll be ninety here in DC, according to the post. Anyway. Uh, the Wicked Bloom is a bar near my house, and one of their bartenders makes a mezcal shooter uh, that involves a um, very spicy bitters and some pineapple juice. And your drink reminded me of it because it's a really good drink uh, that that they make. And I'm not normally one for shooters, but this is this is a good one. That's not what I'm drinking tonight, although um, shooters do sound better than they usually do after re-watching portions of that game tonight to get ready for the show. I'm drinking uh, the same thing I had during the game, uh, which is La Ferme Julienne uh, Rosé. Uh, it has a goat on the label. I got it during the shame period, which, at least for my Twitter account, has now ended. Yeah, you, you're, you're free to go because... Uh, it's oh, I already working. changed it. It's not working, it. so... Yeah, we've got nothing else. I mean, you could have kept it because it was the truth. It, um, it was decidedly not the truth. <laughs> um, 
the goat rose worked well for a couple early goals uh, in the last two games, but that was it. Didn't do much else. Uh, and, and now it has to go away and I'm not going to pour it out. So that's what I'm drinking on the show. Goat wine. Um, the magic has worn off, but the alcohol hasn't. Anyway, DC United, just like uh, against Columbus two weeks ago, United pressed high early and made it count with an early goal this time through Zoltan Stieber. Stieber! <sighs> and that's mostly where the similarities end with the game two weeks ago. Instead of holding on one nothing, um, DC United allowed the Philadelphia Union to double their goal scoring total for the year and win three to two. Uh, Darren Maddox hit a volley off of a Zoltan Stieber cross in the second half to uh, make the margin more respectable. It actually tied the game at the time for about 90 seconds. And uh, that was that was that. Um, Jason, you you indicated in Freedom Kicks this morning on uh, the website on Black and Red United that this was for your money, uh, DC United's worst performance of the year. And I'm having trouble disagreeing with you. Yeah. Uh, when it's one thing to get badly outplayed at Atlanta, um, or to basically be able to do nothing for 45 minutes at Columbus. Uh, those are teams everyone expects to be in the playoffs and near the top of the standings at the end of the year. Um, it's another thing to, you know, coming off of the win against Columbus, they, they showed some of the uh, fundamental things you need to, to be a successful team. They showed a lot of mental toughness, a lot of resilience, um, a lot of resourcefulness in the moment to come through all that. Uh, so it, it seemed like it should have been the first step towards, you know, really improving. And this was kind of a game where you wanted to see uh, the next step. And instead uh, United got comprehensively outplayed by, a Philadelphia union team that isn't going in the playoffs. Um, that probably isn't going to finish seventh either. Um, this is not a particularly good team. Um, and United ended up taking four shots on goal. And, and one of them, uh, was, uh, like a 35 yard left footed Nick DeLeon bid that also broke their, um, every shots, a goal streak. Um, so when that shot bounced its way into Andre Blake's hands, you knew it was over uh, then. Um, yeah, it was just, at you know on on all fronts um just extraordinarily frustrating to watch i think maybe um i can think of maybe two players that weren't bad um or at least i shouldn't say outright bad but like two players that were average or better and everyone else was either below average or outright bad and there was a lot of outright bad so um yeah so let's start let's start the parade so of horrible no, can we? No, 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 no. Let's we'll let people figure it out. We know Stevie; he got a goal and assist on this one. Um, all right, if you want to say the other one, that's fine, and then we'll get to the parade of horribles. Maddox, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Nick DeLeon, I don't think was bad in this game, but that's also judging on a curve. Uh, ben, start the parade of horribles. Sure. Where do you want to begin? Um. Let's see. I'm going to begin on the easy side with uh, uh, the central defense in general. I I want to consider them both at this time because they were both at fault for at least two of the goals. Uh, Frederick Beyonce 
own goal was unfortunate, but not unexpected based on the uh, the balance of play up to that point. And then uh, the next goal, it, it's a division of blame between him and Steve Birnbaum. Right. Uh, the they, they, goal. they didn't track anyone, and the cross, it was just an open header, and I think it was more Steve Birnbaum's fault because he was tracking nobody so what happened on that in watching it it took me watching a few replays to catch this because the angle kept the the cameras kept panning off but uh steve birnbaum clears the initial cross out and also gets taken out himself by cj sapong and he's just too slow to get up and get back he was was behind he was up he was behind the line he he kept everyone online i know he got up he got up but then he didn't move forward he didn't move up the field yeah so it's his fault the rest too. of the back line yes you can make an argument that he was fouled but whether he was or not he needs to get up and get in line with his team at the same time frederick briant needs to recognize that the offside line is broken because steve birnbaum yes. is behind it and he needs to track a damn runner especially when that runner is cj sapong right. and at least on birnbaum, that one yeah birnbaum got caught in no man's right. land and yeah. Yes. At least on that one, I even though he was nearby for that particular thing, I don't blame Chris Durkin. Uh, Durkin had some good moments and some bad moments, but in that particular one, even though he was nearby, I don't blame Chris Durkin on that particular incident. I'm going to go next. I'm going to okay. I'm uh, in the parade of horribles. I'm going to name Joseph Mora, who was. He made a couple of good tackles. He looks really good when he's making an emergency tackle and uh, otherwise looked disastrous. Jim Curtin said after the game that they targeted him, well, basically. I, Go can ahead. Can I jump in there? Um, because we were waiting for Olsen's press conference, so I got to hear all of Curtin's remarks. And he did sort of characterize it less as going after Joseph Mora and more about trying to get away from what they had been doing, which was an overemphasis on just giving the ball to David a and seeing what happens because that had not been working for them. Um, and so I think part of it was they were trying to have him be getting on the end of service rather than him having to be the creator. Um, so, so while I do think they kind of wanted to get after Mora um, with El Sino's dribbling rather than just trying to run past him with Fafa Pico, um, I also do think uh, that they were looking more in general just to get uh, their left side involved as a finishing moves rather than starting moves kind of look. So I don't think it was entirely about targeting, um, but also, you know, a coach gets in front of a microphone. They don't have to tell you exactly what was on their mind. They can tell you something that just sort of uh, tells a nice story. They don't have to give you everything. Right. Traditionally with DC United in recent years, we've heard about teams targeting Nick DeLeon because he's a conversion project at fullback. And Joseph Moore is not a conversion. He's he's a left fullback. He mm-hmm. plays for an, a team that may be going to the World Cup as a fullback. And Wait, he, the United States? No, not that one. Oh, he did not look up to it. He, well, Go ahead. I, I got to say, I think... Either he didn't it's it's one of two things. Either he never figured out what Ilsenio is gonna do, even though we all know what Ilsenio is gonna do. Um 
or he was not adequately prepared by the coaching mm-hmm. staff for what El Sino is going to do. Um, and each of those is a bad sounding uh, situation yes. because he just, I mean, after 10 minutes or after 15 minutes, maybe it should have been fairly obvious that every time El Sino is going to get the ball, he wants to isolate you. He wants to beat you on the dribble and cut in and either look to shoot or pass from there. But it's always about um, can he get in, get inside you on the dribble and play the pass from there. And even when he didn't beat Mora cleanly, he still ended up having an option to pass or an option to shoot. He always, he was always leaving himself with a window to do something. Um, and that, you know, coaching staff problems or not at a certain point as a player, you need to recognize like, Hey, it's that guy that keeps dribbling past me into the box. Um, I bet he's going to try and dribble past me again um, and make the adjustment, which, you know, that was never really coming. Especially on the first goal. um, You see more do the thing that so many fullbacks do where they angle their body to try to force you, force the player to go to the end line instead of cutting in and then also position themselves so that they can beat them to the end line or beat their man to the end line and prevent the the cross or, or cutting in. And he just was too aggressive about it and, gave Elsino that window to cut inside and Elsino pokes it off of Briant into the goal for what is somehow credited as an Elsino goal. And yeah, that's not an own no, goal, that was is, an own yes, it was a, yeah. Anyway, uh Joseph Mora RIP. Um he he showed so well so early in this game. I is one that he's gonna wanna forget pretty quickly, I I think. Jason, who's next in in our lineup of bad things uh i guess in the interest of uh not turning this into a six-hour show um i'm gonna go with just the central midfield um because if there's any if there's anywhere on the field as much as it was frustrating to watch il senio uh get inside of mora over and over again um i think that's the symptom and the underlying disorder was in central midfield, the union were head, shoulder, rib cage, hips, and knees above. Knees and toes. Knees and toes. It was that bad. Um, uh, Borek Dokal, or Dochkal, um had his best game since coming over by far. Um, he and Alejandro Bedoya both had over 100 touches in the game. Um, her- normally, it's Harris Madunian in that piles up touches and. Um, sees a ton of the ball, but because the union were able to camp out in United's end because their central midfield was able to possess the ball so much, he ended up with about like 25 fewer touches than either of those two, because those guys were the ones um, in the area where the ball was. Um, was Segura anywhere? Uh, behind the play. He was just chasing the play. He just looked um, yeah. like he just mentally was behind. It wasn't for lack of effort. He just couldn't mentally keep up with the pace of play and the ideas that the union were coming up with. Um, Dorchkow really, you know, he really underlined the fact that Durkin is an 18 year old who's only played a handful of professional games at this level. Um, And, uh, you know, it was a rough game for Durkin. It was a rough game for Segura. Um, Lucho Acosta was not really a factor after he got his assist. Um, They just were never able to do anything like, you know, there was a point midway through the first half where it was already clear that this was a problem and Assad moved into the middle. Acosta played wide left for about five minutes. That didn't change anything. Um, They just, it never, it never got better. Um, And if you get dominated in central midfield to that extent, 
uh, you're going to have a hard time doing anything. And yeah, I, I, I want to say, I think the cure for this at least is um, for the time being, they probably need to play four, two, three, one instead of four, one, four, one to give Durkin some help. Um, but like, I, I, I want, I really want the, uh, I really want Chris Durkin to be excellent from the get go. I really want uh, player kids to be validated, but this is an instance where just blindly saying play your kids isn't, it doesn't work in the real world. Durkin is a good player, but just blindly playing him no matter what just isn't happening. He needs the support. Like we've just talked about, he he needs it to be a four two three one. Hopefully, uh, it, within the next two weeks, either Moreno or Knaus come back from injury and are able to help support him because he passes well and the the, the it, it's there. He just needs the support right now to make it to make it full. Yeah, it's it's you know and and you know the union have spent the bulk of their. Uh, the bulk of their spending on their team has been in central midfield. Um, Deutsch Cal is an expensive player. Madunyanin uh, and Bedoya were expensive players to, to bring yeah. in. Um, and it, 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 you know, sometimes people will mock the union and rightly so, because they're playing uh, a bunch of kids who aren't really ready for full-time starting jobs as their back four, whereas they've overbought on central midfield. But in this game, uh, it worked like a charm because they looked a whole different class apart from DC's central midfield. And even when, you know, Olsen got weird uh, towards the end of the game, he brought Bruno Miranda in. And um, at first we couldn't even figure out what they were trying to do with him because he was playing underneath. He, at one point he spent like a solid minute underneath uh, Segura and Durkin. Um, he's drifted out wide left for a little while. and was just sort of in a pocket of space um, that, improved things a little somehow it was so weird that it kind of worked he i don't think he missed a single pass while he was in um but that's not a that's not really going to work long haul because you know miranda doesn't really have the passing uh skill set to i I think all of his passes were sideways passes um there wasn't anything truly dangerous going forward so um as much as it stemmed the tide a little bit it was also you know the union were uh at that time in the lead and cruising. And it wasn't until they got the slap in the face that was the Maddox goal um, that they had to pick it back up a little bit. And then they scored immediately and controlled the next 15 minutes. And at that point, the game was decided. Um, It was funny because it it was three, two, and yet it did not feel like United could fluke their way into another goal, even though they had just done. So it was still like, they're not doing that again. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. The first goal for DC United, I would say was, was well-deserved. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to continue the parade of horribles. Ben, do you have another name for the list, or or should I throw mine on there? Um, I I mean I can go with Patrick Mullins. He was go with Patrick team. Mullins. He was non-existent in his time out on the field, and the fact that uh, we keep not wanting to put uh, uh, Darren Maddox on the field, but he has three goals and three starts, and that speaks for itself at this point. And Patrick Mullins just hasn't been able to do anything so far this year. Uh, it's making uh, the end of 2016 look more and more like a fluke because it's just not able to be reproduced. And at this point, barring injury and barring new signings, I think Darren Maddox has to be the starter uh, until 
Patrick Mullins can really make a big statement. I completely agree. We we've talked about and I, I see it a lot uh, on Twitter and in the comments for Black and Red United that that this team needs hold up play, um, and and Patrick Mullins is he Patrick Mullins should be better than that than position to hold it up and fail to every time uh he, he would either try to take somebody on without an idea of how he was going to do that or he would get beaten or he would just lose the ball um whereas Mal- uh, maddox this year we we've seen at times able to to hold the ball up not as well as maybe we would like but certainly better than patrick mullins has been this year and that's that's really disappointing i i expected mullins to bounce back and he he just hasn't. Yeah, oh. uh, he he. You know, when Maddox came in and scored almost immediately, um, I turned to Stephen uh, in the press box, and the first thing out of my mouth was like, "I don't know if we're going to see Mullins play again for quite a while," um, because if Maddox is healthy, I mean that the difference was obvious. Even though he only really got that one look. Um, it's still it's a run that Mullins isn't making right now. Uh, it's a service that his teammates aren't looking to send in for him because they don't believe he's going to get to it. Um, and they're right right now. Um, the confidence that wasn't there last year is not there this year. Um, he he looks like a shell of himself, and um, Maddox is a flawed player. But you know he's on. I, I believe um, Stephen did some math and said that he's on track to score 15 goals at the pace he's going um which is kind of wild because Darren Maddox has never even broken double digits before but uh that's that's the really the story of it for this team I mean he's a flawed striker for what uh I think what Olsen wants to do but at the same time there's no way around the fact that he you know, if anything the the gap between Maddox and Mullins is larger than the gap between Mullins and Dane Kelly um, yeah. or Miranda for that matter. Um, Mullins yeah. was bad enough in this game that I don't know that he's necessarily the second striker on the team anymore. Um, and you know, Maddox has two weeks to, if it was a fitness thing where he didn't get to start, then he has two weeks to build that up because certainly if he has even 45 minutes in his legs, he has to start, um, oh, sure. at RSL. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is kind of frustrating that, if he did have that in his legs and he still wasn't given the start, then I think that's a mistake um, from Olsen because the union have been really bad uh, when they step and they try and, and contain things early. If you can get that last little touch through, they are really bad at defending uh, when they have to run back and face goal. Um, they struggled against Dallas uh, the week before. It was pretty much every chance Dallas created was that kind of chance, which is much more of a Darren Maddox thing than a Patrick Mullins thing. So um yeah. If it was not a uh, concern over Maddox being able to do uh, 60 minutes of running, um, if that wasn't why he wasn't starting or he, he ended up on the bench, then there's a you know a tactical error there because I think the union were very comfortable with the style of game Mullins wanted to play, much less – I mean, granted, he was just ineffective um, mm-hmm. regardless, but um, even if he had been – able to be effective, I think the union would have been more comfortable dealing with him than with Maddox as just as a player profile type. So um, 
that was frustrating in and of itself. Um, one of the many, many frustrating things. You know, you know it's bad when the the hometown journalists are apologetic to you. Like, well, you know, hopefully when the stadium opens, you guys will get better. Because um, I had someone say that as they walked out. And it's like, uh, that's that sums it up. <laughs> um, the, the last goal, the, the actual goal hit. I'm not a professional goalie, but it, it looked like he he could have cut down the angle a little more. He could have had his hand in a better position. Um, Dodge call, you know, fired it at his head um, and and roofed it, and it was a goal that shouldn't have happened. Uh, I, I he Clark stood on his head against the crew and did not decidedly did not against Philly. Um, I mean, so I feel like that was a good enough goal that I'm not that mad about it, and and they deserve that, to give up that goal anyway. Yeah, as a team, but you need your keep. He he didn't deliver in the moment. Yeah, you knowing what I'm. Briefly, because we have to wrap this up pretty soon to get Charlie on. Uh, I do want to talk about Ben Olsen and the, the team's approach to this game. We mentioned earlier the game started really well. DC United pressed high, forced a turnover, immediately punished it without any mercy. It was fantastic. Uh, Zoltan Stieber's goal. And then they kind of dialed back a little bit and dialed it back all the way. And we're just hanging on until it wasn't uh, sustainable anymore. I, ben, I'm curious about your thoughts about the, the approach. Yeah, I feel like this has been this has been a thread that has pulled through DC United uh, throughout last year and this year. I feel like, uh, and especially in the first couple of games this year, I feel like they uh, press early, get that. Uh, do something well, either getting a first goal or playing well in the first 10 to 15 to 20 minutes, maybe. And then they just ease off. And I don't know if it's fitness. I don't know if it's just overconfidence or what, but if they could even do that for an entire 45 minutes or, or forbid uh, 60 or 75 minutes, I know it's a lot uh, from a fitness standpoint, but that's what Ben Olsen teams are supposed to be about. So if they could do that for a half or two-thirds of a half and then bring on the fresh players, I mean, having the amount of central midfielders and wingers that they have, do you think that, that that's something they would have been able to implement? And the fact that they can't press for more than the first 10 or 20 minutes so far is is not good because, in theory, that's how this team is supposed to be able to build to play. Well, they're also supposed to play on the counter, but they they can't get the ball back when they're not pressing. They, they right. I mean, I feel, I feel like pressing and counter go hand in hand. If you press high, then you create turnovers, and then you counter. Well, there's I mean, there's different ways to counter. There's also the Montreal counter, where they you know sit relatively deep and yes, just yes. go at you, run eighty yards at speed. Uh, and then there's a land counter, which is what DC United has proved better at, we're, at least in the opening stages of these last two games. But yeah, anyway, 
when the team steps back and starts playing on the back foot, they look, when they've opened games playing on the front foot, they've looked really good, and I don't understand why they keep stepping back. Uh, I mean, my my yeah. opinion is my opinion is is not about fitness at all. Um, I think it's a mindset thing. I think they're told to go out and press and get themselves a lead, and then they're told to defend that lead rather than add to that lead. Um, and yeah, you because, can't do that in MLS uh, after one goal. Well, it, you can if you're good at defending, but I don't think this group is that good at defending. Um, I think the only thing they've proven to be good at consistently this year is high-pressing teams into giving away dangerous turnovers and then turning those chance, or th- those into real chances. Um, so if you're not good at, um, you know, Columbus win aside, if you're not good at defending for long stretches, you're not good at playing possession soccer, but you are good at pressing teams and creating transition opportunities and counter opportunities and making things happen that way, then you should just be that team. And I think that's the biggest thing for me right now is that um, United just needs to be a, be a high pressure team. Um, I think the players that they have out there would be more effective in the most, the most part, I think, um, the triple A's definitely would be. Assad. Yeah, you know, Yamil Assad was wonderful as a high pressing player for Atlanta last year. Um, I think Paul Ariola, the high press would emphasize everything that he does well and mitigate a lot of the stuff that he's not so great at. Um, if Adam Mawil, uh, who is a just a lesser version of um, Paul Ariola, if he can be a highly successful MLS player in a high press system, then there's no reason why Paul Ariola can't do the same thing. Um, Wait, I did think, you say Adam Mawil? Yeah, Adam Mawil from the New York isn't Rangers. It, isn't it Alex Mawil? Oh, yeah, Alex, sorry. Okay, um, I was going to say, I, I remember the Adams that are in, no, no, no. that I hear. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, the, it, it kind of kills me to see, Yeah, you think about Segura, um, where he's such a physical force, um, he yeah. should be someone generating turnovers and maybe not finishing those moves off. But if he's the one um, putting in challenges and getting the knocking balls loose, then you're going to get this team on the break. And Darren Maddox um, is going to be out and running and, and defenders are going to have to scramble to try and get to him at, you know, the front post or the back post. And that's usually going to end well for him because he's going to get away from them. And if they do catch up to him, he can jump over them. We've seen him literally leap over a six foot tall man. Um so, yeah, uh, I think just embrace a high – at least embrace it for long enough to, like, the, for the full first half. See what happens. Right, not, not 10 or 20 minutes, but right. yeah, the, um, the full half. I, I understand the idea of, you know, United in the past has been too – they've had too much of a tendency to think, well, let's weather the storm and then try and play. So now they've changed that and they've said, let's go out and, and go toe-to-toe for the first 15 minutes – and then shift into defending because it, it has the thing is it has worked early in games, even the Columbus loss, um, you know, as we talked about at the time that really didn't have like with a little luck, that's not three, one Columbus at halftime. It's maybe two, one DC at halftime instead. Um, and, uh, you know, those are, that's a good team that they did that to against Philly um, until they backed off. I thought they were having the better of it, but they chose to back off. I think it's a choice that they're making and it's a choice that's backfiring and they've got two weeks to figure out that they either need to really adapt, adopt being a high pressure team. And, you know, they're not going to instantly become the Red Bulls or sport in Kansas city the moment they make that decision, but they'll be better for it. Um, 
or they have to find a way to be a Vancouver Whitecaps style sit deep and uh, and defend on the counter or play on the counter and hit long balls, um, which they haven't been very good at this year. But if they uh, can find a way to win games in that style, then, you know, so be it. But they've got to figure out one or the other. It can't be high press for a bit and then drop back um, and be, you know, they aren't even playing that many long balls. It's just sort of sit back and, and absorb pressure and see what happens going the other way. And that's not really a plan. So um, they've got two weeks to figure out who they want to be as a team. They, they, I mean, we've had what a, a bye week, a game, a bye week, a game. And now we're on a yeah. bye week before a game. We really shouldn't be needing the last bye week to be uh, figure out what you want to do with yourselves, but that's where we're at right now. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate that, I, I think the answer is go all in on being a high pressure team. One of the hardest places to do that. Um, nothing to do with with Pepe's team. Just the opposite. And Session is your friend, and so that doesn't bode well for DC United. Hopefully they figure it out. Uh, we're out of time. We have to bring Charlie in, so I'm just going to cut this segment off right here. Please stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. Uh, our next guest, you know from his writings at MLSsoccer.com, from SoccerWire, from U.S. Soccer Players, from just about everywhere else on the internet that talks about soccer. His name is Charles Bohm, and he's very welcome here at Filibuster. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. I think you've been on before, like during one of our, our draft. Uh, I caught you during, in the draft room. Uh, once or twice a couple of years ago, but I think this is your first time sitting down with us, and the first time you're hearing this question from us. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking bourbon with some ginger, ginger oh, beer. Excellent. What kind of bourbon? Uh, it's uh, it's the best deal at Costco, uh, which which varies from week to to from month to month, I guess. But uh, it's something called. Um, uh, oh, hold on. We're connoisseurs of bad bourbon here. Something called larceny. Have you guys heard of that? 
Yeah, Larsley's good. Yeah. I've never had it before. It's it's tasty. It's working. Yeah, I like that one. I live I live like two miles from the DC Costco, and if you guys haven't been there, and you you drink alcohol, or if you you know if you're into Costco, that's great too. But definitely, if you drink alcohol, <laughs> not visit DC Costco. It's incredible. For for all those big Costco fans, <laughs> I mean. I'm pretty sure there's dozens of small bars across DC being being floated financially by the fact that their owners <laughs> are buying buying whiskey and and bourbon ex- extraordinary prices by the case at, at, right. at the local Costco here. I've I've definitely seen people in there buying industrial quantities uh, of liquor. I I go there because the gas is cheap, um, and so is basically everything else. It, it is Costco after all. <laughs> Charlie, you just wrote um, a fantastic interview with with Ben Olson, a great write up on mlssoccer.com. dot com. Um, hey, thanks for finishing and, it, guys. I always I always appreciate it when people get to the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was well worth it. Um, and it was. to anyone who who hasn't read it yet, uh, I I've told Ben to make sure the link gets in the show notes because he puts that all together. He takes that he takes on that load. Yep. Um, so make sure you read that. Uh, to get us started, Charlie, I wanted to ask you, what does the term Benny Ball mean to you? Because it's it's such a cipher of a term that I, I'm curious what, what you think of it. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't, he, he asked me. Uh, it's funny to, to have the conversation <laughs> with him because he kind of he went a little Charlie Day on me. You know, <laughs> what is it? What is that? Did you come up with that? Who came up with that? What's that all about? <laughs> And uh, I didn't really have an answer. I don't know the full <laughs> etymology uh, of the term, but uh, for me, it's, it's just a, a, a you know smartass DC United uh, shorthand for for the balling on a budget that uh, that he and and Dave Casper and the rest of the technical staff and really everybody in the club from across the board has been asked to do more with less or at least the same with less for several years now and um, in. In Olson and Casper's case, that was um, having to be highly prag- pragmatic and open to compromise on aesthetics, on personnel, uh, tactics, uh, all, all that sort of stuff in, in pursuit of results and competitiveness in a uh, really rapidly evolving league. So that's, I guess that's my, that's my uh, 10 cent version. I think that makes sense. Uh, a lot of people want to put a specific tactical philosophy um, that, tries to define Ben Olsen by the circumstances the team has been in. And I know we haven't really accepted that as the, the meaning Jason refuses to, to say the term at all, yeah, which it is just, probably correct. It just, it, it ends up meaning whoever's saying it, it means something different to them every time though. I think, I think Charlie's definition, because it is uh, more about the mindset rather than the specific, uh, tactical approaches on game day, I think is probably uh, I'm closer to that than uh, some of the other, you know, playing long balls, for example. Um, Yeah. I I think that's closer to being uh, a usable term at that point than, uh, than it is otherwise. Well, so I know, you know, um, I don't know how you guys are when you write, but um, I have a weird allergy to like repeating phrases or repeating words yeah. if at all possible yeah and so i often find myself coming up with different ways to say more like the same thing or refer to the same things and i think i called them the iron chef uh, chefs of mls uh, <laughs> at some point in the last few months because a good one. 
there's something of an element to that too. You know, it's, it's, uh, and certainly I've, I've watched, um, some Mendelssohn teams play some pretty direct, uh, grinding utilitarian, um, possibly even nihilistic soccer at, at, at times, but there was usually a reason for that. Uh, and, and we, I've also seen them, seen them blow the doors off teams. Uh, you know, was it down the stretch in 2016 mm-hmm. where they were scoring the most goals of anybody in MLS and Patrick Mullins was, was playing out of his mind. He looked like a, um, he was a, well, he became a half million dollar player, you know, basically off of a few good months. And right. so, you know, and, and Ben's, Ben's not going to stop that from happening. And, and the, I've had multiple conversations with him about this stuff. Um, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have any particular love for, um, for, for reactive soccer. Although he did say, I, he, he did said, told me some interesting stuff that I wasn't able to use about kind of, you know, he, he feels like the defensive side of the game in general, uh, especially in maybe in MLS or in the U S is, is underappreciated, uh, and isn't always, you know, uh, fully understood by fans, but it's not that he inherently wants to play that way or has some philosophical drive to, to be, you know, sort of some sort of Cotinacio of the, of the mm-hmm. capital or something. <laughs> Another good turn of phrase. I, we talked in the last segment about the, the tactical switch, uh, and kind of the tactical duality of the team right now where they, they open games so extremely on the front foot pressing teams to their end line, at least against the crew and against Philly. And it, it's led to goals in both those games. And then they, they dial it back. Um, and obviously your interview was before the, the Philly game, but what do you make of the, the press that we're seeing from DC United so far and just the, the overall approach? Yeah, I think, and again, this, so this goes back a while, but you know, I think Olsen knew last year and he, he spoke um, uh, more than once, I think in preseason, and over the winter about the need to become more proactive, to be able to control the tempo of matches um, uh, more aggressively, more, uh, more assertively. And, and we've seen attempts to do that. You know, there's, there's definitely, I think at their worst, this team, um, I'm trying to think, I think of the, the, to me, the 10 man uh, Orlando the domination by, by, you know, a shorthanded opponent in Orlando was, was a rough moment in terms of seeing um, the real limitations of being an inherently, uh, reactive team that's that's super reliant on counterattacking, and I think he I think he likes having Darren Maddox uh, available in, in order to be able to sit deep and stretch the field almost with one just one set of legs. Uh, but that's not you know that is something that they, they've used that toolkit already and or that tool already, and and they probably will again with so many road games coming up. But they have to at some point in in, in modern MLS really you, you have to be able to build something of your own. Um, in order to kind of get your your hand on the throttle, and uh, and so I, I thought in Philly and in and at their best this season, um, they've they've done that. I mean they've shown um, some some orchestration and some some higher level ideas. Uh, it's just a question of um, you know a lot of teams around the league can do that, and then you then you have to make it worthwhile, make it count uh, with with quality finishing. And of course the finishing has really been been an issue for DC United this year. Uh, speaking, speaking of the finishing, uh, you, you talked to Ben Olsen about the, the team so far and how he really likes this group, but we all have understood that striker needed to be upgraded more than it was, uh, this off season. Uh, do you think anything's going to happen in the deadline day tomorrow or more generally, what do you think is going to happen 
this summer when when the when the window opens once again in for the striker position. Yeah, well, I'm I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm I'm afraid of being long winded yet again here, but I think uh, huh? he's. <laughs> DC United has had this issue for a while now. Again, the, the biggest, let's say the, the rarest, uh, most valuable commodity in soccer around the world is is class in the final third and, and clinical finishing. And, and uh, that's why it commands such a premium uh, on the market. And that's why it's been um, such an elusive quantity for a team like DC that's on, at times, been on very tight budgets. I remember, and I think I can, I think I can, um, use this now it's been a few years but when dc united went out and got eddie johnson you guys may remember now that was a um a bold move but the one that raised some eyebrows a few years back because he had was fresh off some um conflicts in the seattle locker room and was kind of uh jettisoned in, in some sense at least at least according to some people from the sounders because of because of his his con, you know reactions to to contract problems and all that sort of thing and um, and Dave Casper more or less had, you know admitted that uh, in a conversation I had with him that you know there that's one of the compromises that you may have to make when you're looking for uh, an attacking upgrade you know without spending too much money right you you may have to to uh, to deal with somebody who's on the outs at the club or isn't maybe has a certain sort of baggage that they carry with them and you know they so they Balotelli yeah yeah exactly uh, exactly and so. Um, I think I, he Ben didn't rule out. He he suggested he left open the possibility of, of something happening in this this window. But it, it it was pretty clear that the the summer was a big focus for them, and they're going to open up the purse strings more, or at least they're going to great lengths to to make everyone believe that they're ready to open up the purse strings. I don't think Mario Balotelli is going to be the guy. <laughs> ben wouldn't wouldn't talk about him to about him specifically on the record, but he said that. Uh, I, I guess he he didn't he didn't address it directly, but he did talk about a little bit about kind of building a culture. I think he wants his showcase guys, the best paid players on the team and the star players, to be emblematic of what of the sort of culture he wants to have in the locker room atmosphere and the 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 general team vibe. So I think he may go that that may preclude some of the real um, prima donna type A types uh, that have been sort of batted around. Like Tevez is another one that comes up, and yeah. I just don't see that happening. Um, but you know, there's, you can go out and with that mindset, you can go out and still get a really good player. Who's not necessarily a name who could, who could be a real upgrade. Yeah. And then my other question is, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, of consternation about Ben Olsen and playing young players. I think on our site, we've been, uh, fairly defensive about how Ben Olsen actually has played a number of young players throughout his tenure uh, as DC United head coach, but um, do you think he's done enough, including players like uh, Ian Harks, like Chris Durkin, like Jalen Robinson, uh, and others? And do you think that there's more the team could do with players currently signed or players that are currently still in the academy? Yeah, so this is a, one of the more interesting parts of my conversation with Ben uh, last week. He he really he was really genuinely i think perplexed and annoyed um by by this uh idea that he doesn't trust young players or doesn't develop talent or or uh, uh believe in talent um and it and it, we we it tapped into a, a wider conversation we were kind of having about the academy uh and and he clearly you know he he made a point to say that one of the first things he learned in the job was that he doesn't read read clips he doesn't he doesn't know what's being said about his team and he thinks he actually might need to do more of that 
Um, but he, he doesn't understand how some of these ideas sort of get, get founded. Uh, and I, you know, I've talked to people on both sides uh, of this topic who, who believe, you know, differing things. And I think over the years, you could look at this, the average age of the starting lineups or the, of the 18 man rosters that he has called selected and, and see a long periods at least, uh, of, of, uh, trusting veterans, um, maybe reflexively having an older team. Uh, but they have definitely gotten younger in the last few years. He pointed to this this season's rosters in particular as a pretty young group. He thinks the core of it in particular is young. Um, and 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 he defended the academy. You know, the, the academy gets um, uh, gets a lot of uh, stick. Um, and I've you know been part of that, I guess, just in reporting things. Um, but you know, he did. He made a, he made a compelling argument. I'll just say that in terms of reeling off the names of the people of the guys that he's. He's had a role in developing that he's that he's given minutes to. Um, I, I think um, I, I think there's other sort of tests that you have to pass uh, with Ben. I think if a, a young player will be considered um, if he is fits into the other sort of general uh, assets that 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 Ben looks for. So he's open to being proven to them, but I suspect I can't help but suspect that maybe it's just a higher bar on some level if not because of Ben, maybe because of the, the realities of, of what it is to be a, a teenage player, you know, pro or young pro uh, in this country, in this current environment, you know? So I think it's, it's a, it's a very nuanced uh, topic, but I'm, I'm definitely watching the Chris Durkin case uh, closely because I think it, it could be an interesting one in both in terms of the player and the coach in that, in this regard. The, the Durkin point is one I wanted to bring up because you're in your article, he, Ben Olson talks about uh, the plan for Durkin, how the plan was always for him to be away with Richmond uh, for that first season and then with Richmond and the U-17 so that he could focus on that World Cup. Uh, and, and then he would be brought along. And injuries to Benny Moreno and, and Russell Knauss may have actually accelerated that timeline this year. But the all of us itching to see him over the last couple of years, it wasn't that Olsen had no desire to play him. It's that they had a plan to bring him along. That was interesting to me to, to see that. Yeah. And I will, I have to say too, I've talked to people um, close to the situation off the record. And um, there, there's a, there are those who've said that, that maybe Chris wasn't initially in his plans just because he hadn't going back to last year um, because, and maybe I think it was the year before they actually signed. Right. But, you know, just based on the limited time he had with him, um, ben didn't necessarily build him into the, the core of his plans or, or know if he was a guy. Um, and that's direct, definitely had an effect on um, kind of how the club has approached um, in, interest from overseas and transfer interest and that sort of thing. Um, right now he's, he's in the mix and, you know, nothing, nothing should, should count for more here than minutes and decisions. And, you know, he pretty consistently seems to be growing into a more trustworthy, trusting relationship with Durkin and his, Putting him in, even when he brings him off the bench, he's doing it in in significant situations where um, mm-hmm. he's, he's asked to play an important role. Yeah, it's, it's uh, that kind of goes with something that I heard um, last year was that he was barely uh, barely in town um, between the the U seventeens um, having a multi stage process until they got to uh, their World Cup. So um, it. it I guess now that he's there, it's finally a moment where they can start considering him. Um, but I, I guess my, my main thought right now is uh, 
not necessarily about Olsen specifically, but about the club as a whole. Um, you're really plugged in with the local youth community and, and it's, you know, a pretty, a pretty cutthroat world um, as far as uh, the various elite youth teams out there um, competing for players with DC United. And in some cases, um, pretty bitterly competing. Um, uh, but things have changed uh, on that front. You know, United changed their personnel there. They brought in Ryan Martin to head that up. Um, Nolan Sheldon uh, is now on the uh, the actual senior team coaching staff. Um, has that really made um, an impact locally or are things still kind of the same? Ooh, uh, I think... I think this is another one of, of multiple areas where DC United as an organization has pushed off um, what they want to do or what they think is the right thing uh, to the, you know, the, the ideal course of action off into the future. Um, and, and, you know, the, the budget, maybe no, no area of the club has suffered more in, term, in budgetary terms than the academy. You, know, you got to remember this was one of the first uh, MLS academies there was. Um, and they were they were kind of out there on the leading edge. Uh, as a result, you know, to some extent, there was a they had a you know they were ahead of the game, but they also made some mistakes that other uh, clubs in other situations and other markets have learned from, right? So um, DC United was one of the first to kind of you know bring kids in, but it, but they were that whole time they were kind of making enemies. Um, because in a crab barrel, like, you know, specifically Northern Virginia, but DMV in general, the youth soccer environment is uh, cutthroat. And if you're taking away talent from a team or a club and, and you, you don't sort of check all the right boxes or get the vibe just right um, to make clear that it's a mutually you know beneficial and respectful relationship, then things get um, things can get ugly in a hurry. And, and there are stories around the area of, youth clubs and youth coaches telling their kids not to go to DC United games, um, you know, holding grudges for years in some cases, uh, even though we're talking about, you know, every, coaches and clubs should be happy to see their kids on a pro pathway. Right. But the sort of the devils in the details of how all mm-hmm. those kind of relationships go down. So uh, I will say this, that, that DC United's leadership, I think are, are fairly aware at this point that they've um, they're sitting in, according to a, a I was, part of or got to um, take in a presentation from Tony Lapore, who's U S soccer's talent identification chief last week. And uh, the DMV area is the number four market in the country in terms of production of youth national team players and national team players. So pure numbers of, of call-ups, right. Um, that's not necessarily reflected in the local Academy environment in terms of DA programs, their results and that sort of thing. And, and that's, that's not escaped the notice of the Federation and, and the youth scene in general. You know, it, once the the training complex is open and and they can start investing, things will definitely change. They'll they they can sort of maybe start to aim at the market dominance that say Atlanta United has, but it's going to take some time. And they're going and even after they they get it underway, they're going to have to fight against uh, old ways of thinking and old perceptions. Um, I, I guess going back going back to Olson. Um, and maybe this is maybe this is uh unknown territory for all of us um because we've all been covering this team for a while and you know we see things like last summer's um bulk signing of a, a ton of players right at the end of the transfer window and it was like you know what is this new world we're living in um <laughs> what what do you think right now um what do you think it happens if 
we see another big investment this summer and this team is still you know 35 40 points at the end of the year and and you know the the chance to open the stadium and make a run at the playoffs and all that good stuff doesn't really happen um what do you think happens as far as Olsen's job safety Casper's job safety um the club as a whole um where do you think it it might go right now there's so many moving parts here right Mm -hmm. so I think we can now say that um, there's been enough reports and even if nobody's certain exactly what's happening or what's going to happen, there's definitely interest in purchasing the club or purchasing a controlling interest in the club by outside groups. There's also interest in, and probably I would say a high likelihood of additional investors coming on Um, both those that's two different scenarios. And then there's sub scenarios within them, right? So (laughs) um, if Jason Levian, it remains the, um, basically the, the person in charge in terms of, you know, the overseeing those who run the day-to-day operations, um, there may not be a dramatic change necessarily, or maybe sort of a gradual evolution. If, if a new owner comes in that could, uh, that, or, or even just the perception, a, a controlling interest that wants to make a splash or turn a page, which I would think anybody who does, uh, you know, given what we've talked about so far, you know, whatever change happens at the ownership level, somebody's going to want to kind of prove that that things are different now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, until that happens, though, it, it's hard for me as the cynic, the cynic in me at least, to 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 see not to see any spending that happens in the next window or two as all geared towards maximizing you know the value of the club from a from a sale or or a uh, investment standpoint. Charlie, I'm curious what your thoughts on uh, the move to Audi Field. Um, how do you see that uh, opening going? Guys, I really don't know. And, and maybe <laughs> here's where I'm going to ask you some questions. Um, I, I am trying to figure out, I've been watching all the supporters group um, uh, drama, what a fiasco, whatever you want to call it. And I don't really know. I don't really know what the temperature is of the fan base. I don't even know what the fan base is anymore, hardly, because um, there seemed to be such a sort of um, split between casual fans and and the hardcores, and um, I, I really don't know. I mean, it's you're, you're definitely you're always going to get a bump, right, from a new house. But I think we see we can look around the MLS and see that 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 bump can be really short lived if you don't handle things right, or if the results don't go well, or the general atmosphere around the club isn't you know really exciting and positive. And I, I honestly don't know. I'm a, I, I need to. Uh, to hear from more people who've been around this a while. Yeah, none of us are are members of the the supporters groups, but we all we all know people who who are. Um, uh, can I, and I'll throw in something as an example to what Charlie's talking about. Um, yeah. From this weekend, um, there were what during the first ten minutes of the game when it wasn't going terribly, um, the fans you could hear and, and the the press box in Philly is across from um where the away section is it's it's you have to um if you're the away section and you want to be heard in the press box you have to chant across the sons of ben to be heard um but the 75 i think you know i think it was 76 ultras plus whoever else was up there um you could hear them loud and clear and we're talking about a philadelphia team that's got the new stadium that supposedly had that um that boost from from that side of things and now it's you know, 16,400 people. Um, and they didn't really get into that game until they started, uh, 
scoring some goals. It wasn't like watching a game. You know, you watch Orlando on TV, and we are not fond of Orlando on this podcast. But nope. uh, you got to be honest, though, that like that place is loud from kickoff, and it doesn't don't care. It's not like it's not like Real Salt Lake where when things go badly, they get brittle and nervous. Um, they're just loud uh, the whole time, and the Union don't have that. Um, and it's, you know, some of it's stadium design, but some of it is just, uh, a lack of enthusiasm in the broader fan base. And that's something that has been on my mind for a while is that if DC doesn't win right away, um, cause winning will fix a lot of problems. Um, but winning is like, the, it's the hardest thing to control in that. And it's kind of, you know, I wonder if, you know, 2019 comes around and we're not talking about, um, you know, 17, 18,000 in that stadium instead of selling it out like it should be. Especially if they're digging themselves this big a hole before they even get to that stadium. Right. Yeah, yeah this season... Fun. Yeah, I, I I don't think we're going to uh, start challenging Sporting Kansas City for sellout streaks anytime uh, in the near future. Just the number of Wednesday night games and knowing this city's history with Wednesday night soccer games, even the new stadium, I'm not sure can overcome that, especially knowing where the the team stands in the minds of uh, a lot of the supporters, the Bar Brava, the ultras. And it's, you know, a reputation that the team has seemingly worked hard to earn in those supporters' minds. Um, it's not an unreasonable perception on their part. So it's, I, I, I struggle because there's, I know where the team is coming from and I know where they've gone wrong and I know where the supporters have gone, uh, are coming from. And I know where I think that there, there are moments when they should be more flexible or more understanding. And so it, it's, it's hard for me to, to state a clearly, thought out position because I'm of about eight different minds on this situation. And I'm, I'm just mad at everyone, honestly, <laughs> at this point. Uh, and I think that's, that's where a lot of people are. Um, like the supporters are mad at other supporters. They're mad at the team. They're mad at Ben Olsen. They're mad at the players um, where this team has been for a little while has left a lot of people feeling yeah. mad. And I got. I'm gonna. I, I should share this a little bit. And it's. It, it is inherently, I guess, speculative to some extent. But but just the, the different conversations I've had um, over this year and and going back a couple of years now, um, when you know the 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 outside uh, world, the national um, perspective is kind of looks in at, at Ben Olson's longevity and wonders why he's been given such a long leash and why he hasn't been fired after you know some some rough seasons and everything and uh, uh i had so- someone close to the club say that you know the, you got to realize that if they were to hire if they were to to you know the, the easy thing to do is to fire ben and dave right but if, if they did that someone i mean again this is someone with pretty intimate knowledge of, of the inside workings of the club said they're not do they haven't done that and they're not going to do that anytime soon because there's not that many other people in the organization that have soccer knowledge. Like there's no one they can plug in mm-hmm. to those jobs to do the, the basic tasks of running a team and selecting players and shopping on the market. I mean, they're just, and, and it's not just, that's not, that's not necessarily to, to uh, it's, it's, I guess to some extent a slight to, you know, 
the staff, but it's really more just a, a very pragmatic observation of how thin, how close to the bone all the cuts over the many years of the, the staff cuts have been mm-hmm. and what a toll they've taken. Yeah, that we talked about that a little bit. That almost reminds me of my, uh, I'm just going to talk over you, Adam. I'm sorry. Uh, that almost reminds me of my, uh, hometown Cincinnati Bengals and how they have basically no front office either. We talked about it a little bit last week with Roach on the show about how that manifests in the non-soccer operations of the team. Um, and a lot of us remember when, when, when DC United was at the forefront of, uh, social media with uh, player websites with various promotions around town and advertisements on Metro buses and in the Washington post and just seeing that how far they scaled back um, due to understandable financial constraints, but we haven't seen them scale back up in any way. Um, and there's been some investment on the soccer side with the, the analytics department starting to, to grow or at least exist um, with, with Johnny Northeast coming in to, to be a sports scientist on the, the staff, but you're right. There's, there's not a person there who could take over for Ben Olsen. And I think in the past there was also um, the reason, at least the reasonable case to be made that there was nobody to take the job. If you hired Ben Olsen, because it was probably the worst job in MLS with the, the constraints the team was under. And that's no longer the case. Um, with the, the stadium being built, the training facility being built, the USL team starting to, to build out, this is a less unattractive job, if not a more attractive job than it's ever been in, in recent history. So uh, that, that case starts to, to lose a little bit. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I think Ben Olsen, at least from, from, the quotes you got from him, he's he feels the pressure, even if a lot of fans don't think he does. Absolutely, guys. Can't, can't emphasize that enough. You guys have anything else for Charlie? Uh, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Charlie, anything you wish we'd asked you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I've I think I've uh, run on long enough here. All right. What, why don't you tell what you doing our, here on this show? Yeah, it's called filibuster, man. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I didn't wear my depends or anything, but hopefully, I gave you guys <laughs> a little raw material to work with. Uh, you didn't. You didn't bust out the phone book, so so you, you're <laughs> far from our longest winded guest. Uh, tell our one listener who hasn't already followed you online where they can do that. Yes, uh, I'm on Twitter at cboehm, and you can usually catch uh, whatever I've uh, recently been working on. Uh, on my timeline there. And this is one of the guys online that you should be reading every word he writes. He's he's one of the best out there. Thank you, Charlie, for, for joining us this week. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for this year podcast at blackandredu for the website. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you name it. Wherever you get podcasts, you can find us. Send your emails to filibuster podcast at gmail.com and send your donations to patreon patreon.com slash filibuster if you're so inclined there will uh, be the, there will be bonus content coming probably this week for uh we met our goal. unless i die yes it'll it'll show up this week 
And if I'm not even going to follow that up. Mostly, though, please. If I die, you guys should uh, uh, do a podcast from the funeral. All right, that'll happen. That'll happen. (laughs) We'll do that. But it's cheerful, though. Go ahead. Please tell a friend about this incredibly macabre podcast we have (laughs) going. For Jason and Ben and thanking Charlie once again, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. You have to celebrate my death. You're smiling, (laughs) but I don't believe you. You still think that I would never leave you. You're smiling, but I don't believe you.